0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let me read the passage for tonight. It's uh, Romans 1, 1 through 7, and it reads like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved and called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with grateful, thankful hearts. We're really thankful to see people here, Lord, that you've brought um, back to gather with us. We're just so thankful for the reunion of many old friends, and um, we just pray, Lord, for a great night in your word and in fellowship. And Lord, we pray, according to Ezekiel 36, you promised us Uh, three things. You promised that you would sprinkle our hearts with clean water that would be clean, that you would remove all our idols. And so we pray tonight, Lord, we pray that you would remove idols from our hearts and cleanse our hearts. You also promised that you would give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us, and that you'd remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And we pray for that, Lord. We pray that you'd remove any stoniness and hardness of heart, whether it's cynicism or bitterness or anger or just... Um, Like a hardened indifference Lord we pray you'd remove that And give us hearts of flesh And you also promised that you would put your spirit in us That we would follow all of your decrees And be careful to live all your commandments And we pray that Lord We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit To fill us for that purpose We pray Lord too that you would heal our land Of disease, of disunity Lord we pray ultimately That your kingdom would come Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven And we pray start with us we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. So this is the first week that we're going to be in Romans. Really excited to do this. Romans has been used by God to turn the world upside down many times, to actually turn it right side up. Think about the Protestant Reformation started by studying the book of Romans. Tons of reformations and revivals have started when God's people have focused on the book of Romans. Many people were converted by the Book of Romans. St. Augustine was converted by Romans 13. You think of uh, Martin Luther was converted as he was in this first chapter of Romans. John Wesley also converted, going through Romans. So this is an amazing book. Martin Luther said this about the Book of Romans. He said, Paul's letter to the Romans is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but also, all believers should occupy themselves with it every day as their daily bread for their souls. We can neither read it or ponder it too much. For the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. do you love that? The better it tastes. The more you chew on it and meditate on it and roll it around in your mind, the better it tastes. No other book, guys, will equip you so well for the mission God has for you in the world. So we're going to do an in-depth study of this. It'll take us at least a year to do it. You can consider this like a five-unit class on uh, theology, ministry, and mission taught by the Apostle Paul. Treat it like that. Like Luther says, occupy yourself with it every day. Let it be your daily bread of your soul. You know, have it be to you more and more precious and tasty. And I'm going to send out questions each week so you guys can discuss those or for private meditation. You could also use them for discipleship, so if you have friends or family or people in this church you want to meet up for discipleship, you'll have questions, and you'll be equipped as you go through Romans. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to Christians in Rome. Paul introduces himself in verse 1. Take a look at it. By the way, we're going to look at it, okay? So you're going to need a Bible, or you're going to need your phone or something, because we're going to look at all the little parts, okay? So that later, when you read this, you'll go like, oh, I know what all these parts mean. Like, that's what we're doing, okay? Okay, cool. Here we go. So, Paul introduces himself this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Three things Paul says about himself. He says he's the servant of Christ. That word servant, doulos in Greek, means slave. He considered himself Jesus' slave, okay? That Jesus is his master, and he is Jesus' slave. He calls himself an apostle. He said he was called to be an apostle. You guys remember, Paul was He was converted in a really dramatic way and called to be an apostle. He had the first, you know, literal Damascus Road experience. If you guys have ever heard that term, that's what he had. He's shining light, thrown off a horse, you know, uh, hears from God and is converted. It says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. Interesting thing, set apart. He was set apart for the gospel of God, meaning he was set apart from pursuing wealth and health and acclaim and friends and safety because Jesus is better, okay? He was set apart for Jesus. And if you're a Christian tonight, guys, even though you're not an apostle, by the way, you are not an apostle, okay? Even though you're not an apostle, like Paul, you are a servant of Christ called and sent and set apart for the gospel. We're going to see that in verse 7. We also know from verse 7 that this was written to Christians in Rome. Kind of an interesting story here. So Paul wrote this letter in the winter of 57 AD. He had spent three months in Corinth. He was waiting for the, the conditions on the sea to be okay to take a large offering of money to the poor people in Jerusalem, the poor Christians in, in Jerusalem. And he planned to then go from there to Rome and then use Rome as a launching point for missions to Spain. And so he sends this deaconess Phoebe with this letter in the meantime. Um, This is the only letter we have of Paul's that was written to a church that he didn't either plant or his associates didn't plant. So this is a church that he doesn't really have as much formal relationship with it. And so it might seem a little strange, we'll find out a little bit later, that Paul does want money from them. He wants financial aid from them. He wants them to send him on to Spain. And so you might think that's a little awkward, you know, they don't really know each other that well, and he's going to stop and be a launching point, and they're going to finance his launching off to Rome. So Paul has needs here, has missional needs that he's, he's writing this letter for. But the church in Rome had needs too. The Church in Rome had a lot of needs. One of them was a racial division. So it turns out the Emperor Claudius had sent all the Jewish people out of Rome for about five years, and that included Jewish Christians. The church was probably mostly led by Jewish Christians in the beginning. They're all sent out of Rome. They're out there for five years, and then they come back, and they come back to What? Come back to a church run by Gentiles. This creates some conflict. This creates some difficulty. And so Paul addresses that in this letter, and we'll see that addressed. Um, There were political divisions. We can see from chapter 13 that there were some divisions about how much should Christians obey the state? How much should Christians obey the government? That's covered in chapter 13. There were cultural divisions. We see near the end of Romans that there were questions about what kind of meats you could eat and things like that. He had All kinds of things to help them with. So what's Paul doing with this letter of the Romans? What he's doing is he is unifying the church around the gospel so that they'll be rallied for the mission, okay? There's a church that needs some unification around the gospel to to, um, rally them around the mission that he's going to do to Spain. And I was thinking about, we might need that too, right? We might need to become more unified around the gospel as a church so that we could be rallied to mission, right? I loved Gabe's image uh, last week when he was preaching. He was talking about how you'll go into a room and not realize why you went in there. So you had this idea, you were looking for something, you go in the room, and you go in there and you don't know why you were there. And you end up kind of distracted and doing something you hadn't anticipated. And that's like entirely last year, right, for a lot of us, is that we got caught not knowing what we were doing and why we were there. Um, This letter is going to be great for that. And I love his intro here because, you know, typically in a letter from Paul, it says, Paul you know, an apostle, whatever he says, and then he says to whoever, it, it goes real fast that he introduces who he's talking to. In this one, though, there's six verses in between where he unpacks the gospel. That's a little different. You know, it's as if he he's going, hi, I'm Paul, I'm writing you this letter, and then he breaks into the stuff he wanted to talk about the gospel because he's so excited about it, and then he goes, oh yeah, yeah, hi guys in Rome, right? And that's what we have in this passage is a beautiful introduction to the gospel. It's a beautiful introduction to the book of Romans. And I want to give you five things that this passage says about the gospel that are great, like launching off points to the book as a whole. First one, the gospel is the one plan for the world. Look at verse two. Paul says, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The whole Old Testament, guys, points to Jesus in the gospel. The gospel is not a or sorry the old testament is not a story of God's kind of trial and error And the eventually lands on the gospel. It, it's not like God went like, "Hey, I'm going to try this Adam thing. Ooh, that didn't go well. Okay, let's try a Noah thing. Ooh, that didn't go well either." You know? Okay, we'll, we'll try a Abraham thing. Well, a little better, but it didn't go well either. Let's try a Moses thing. Let's try a David thing. This isn't God like constantly doing different things trying to see what will work for us, right? No. The old testament is from the beginning, pointing to Christ and the gospel. It's going somewhere. Jesus and the gospel with a plan all along from the beginning of the world. And we know that because we can see that the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. There's a couple things we're going to do this year that fit that. Rick and Christy Aragon's community group is going through Jesus on every page, which is a great book to do this. So that's Wednesday nights. If you want to join that, you got the links for that. The Bible reading plan is going to help us with that. I'm going to try and point out as many as I can, areas that the Old Testament points to Christ. But as we go through Romans, guys, we're going to see that Paul quotes the Torah. He quotes the Psalms. He quotes Isaiah and Hosea and Joel and Habakkuk and Malachi and 1 Kings and probably Job and Proverbs. He quotes all these in the book of Romans to show us what? That the whole Testament points to Jesus. He also talks about various people and their connection to the gospel. People like, Adam and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob and Benjamin and Moses and Jesse and David and Elijah. All those people are mentioned in the book of Romans. Why? To show that the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. We also see in Romans 9 through 11, we're going to look and see how God is steering the whole course of history, the whole course of Israel and the nations and everything to a place of highlighting Christ in the world. The whole world, guys, including every one of us, has been created to be a stage on which the gospel plays out, the story of Jesus. That's what the world was created for. We don't tend to believe that. We tend to think that the gospel is somehow a part of a greater story in the world. Like there's this story in the world, and oh yeah, the gospel's a part of that. Kind of like, oh yeah, there's a religion category in your life, and that's where you file the gospel. We tend to believe that there's some bigger story that the gospel fits into. We mentioned it probably about a month ago. I talked about some stories that people in our world try to live in. One of the stories is the story of progress. Story of progress is that more physical prosperity will make us happy and give us peace, right? That's the story of progress. And if you live in the story of progress, the gospel will only be helpful to you in as much as it gives you prosperity. And there is a thing called the prosperity gospel, which is all about that. Your big story is progress. Your big story is prosperity. And look, the gospel can come in as a part of your life to help you get that. That's one story people live in. Now, the story people live in, kind of in the dark category is Marxism. It sees the whole world as a constant struggle between the oppressed and oppressor. Every single person is either oppressed or an oppressor. Which one are you? Isn't that a hideous way to look at people? You know, you're either one or the other, right? Everybody's oppressed or an oppressor. It's a terrible way to look at the world, right? In that story, the gospel is the opium of the people. The gospel is something that makes the oppressed stay happy and stay in their oppression and not fight back and kind of just makes them passive in the world. And so the gospel is actually an obstacle to people's liberation. There's a story of naturalism. That's the story that physical things and the laws of nature are the only causes of everything in the world. If you believe that, then you believe that everybody you love and everything you love is here by random chance and is ultimately meaningless. There's no way around that. And that story would say that the gospel is a weird kind of unnecessary instinct we still have that we just can't seem to grow out of. We don't need it anymore. We can't grow out of it. In fact, Christianity is growing in the world rapidly still. Last one. This is maybe one hits closer to home. Expressive individualism. That's the story that you create your own story. You create a story about who you are and what's important and what's real and what's true. You decide. You're the creator of yourself, right? And in that story, the gospel is simply an optional life enhancement. You add the gospel if it boosts your self-esteem if it makes you emotionally happier, right? As long as it doesn't cost you too much or ever make you sad, right? Okay, which one do you think you're likely to fit into? All of us tend towards these. These are the stories of our culture. But what Paul's saying here is the gospel actually is the big story, the whole story of reality The whole reason the universe was created was to be a stage of Jesus and the gospel to play out. God has been saying this from the very beginning, all the way from Genesis. And guys, tonight I just want to say to you that if you minimize or miss the gospel, you are minimizing or missing the whole reason the universe exists. You're missing the whole reason you exist. Romans talks about sin, this Greek word, it means missing the mark. That would be the biggest missing of the mark anyone could ever do, would be to live for everything except for what really matters. And that's what we do if we minimize or miss the gospel. The gospel is not an add on to history. The gospel is the whole story of history. And so the gospel can't just be an add on to your life. It has to be your whole life, or it's nothing. Second, the gospel is about Jesus. Look at verse three it says concerning his son. You've, uh, you haven't found the true gospel if you haven't found the historical Jesus. It is concerning his son, it says in verse 3. Who is the real Jesus? What's really cool is in verses 3 through 4, he actually gives us two forms of ID for Jesus. There's two witnesses of who Jesus is. Take a listen to it and see if you can see them. We're looking for two witnesses to who Jesus is, okay? Here we go. Verse 3, you ready? Okay, here we go. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you see him? There's two witnesses, and they both start with according to, right? There's two witnesses there. What are they? Two witnesses. According to the Spirit Spirit is one of them, yep. According to the, it's open book. You guys can do this. Flesh, okay. So according to the flesh, who is Jesus? Jesus is a descendant from David according to the flesh. What this reminds us is that Jesus is the true human king that was promised to David a thousand years before he was born, before Jesus was born, to reign in this world forever and to make it all new. Okay? I think you guys are especially ready for that good news. That there is a human king, Jesus, who is going to reign on this earth forever and make it new. Sound solid? Does that sound like good news? It is good news. Okay, who's the, who's the other witness? The other witness is the spirit. Look at verse 4 who was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. The Spirit proves that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God the Son, that he is divine. How did he prove it? It says right here, by his resurrection from the dead. I love the Greek of this. The Greek of this actually says um, his resurrection from among the dead people. That puts it in an interesting place, doesn't it? So Jesus died and was among the dead people and then was resurrected out from the dead. Okay, that should leave us no doubt about who he is, okay? That he is exactly who he said he is. That he is the son of God. He is God's son. His resurrection from the dead proves it. And guys, this is the only kind of savior that can save you from your sin. As we go through Romans 1 through 3, we're going to see our need for a savior because we're sinners. We're going to find out that even religious people... And religious people, are sinners, and they need a Savior. And Jesus is the only kind of Savior that can save us because he's the only one that's both human and God. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, but like only a human should pay for sin, for human sin. Only a human can pay for human sin, and only God has the power to pay it. Only a human should pay for sin, and only God could, and Jesus is both. He's God and man. He is the Savior. The gospel is concerning Jesus, it says in verse 3. The only Jesus, the God man who can give us free grace. One thing that's really important, guys, in this is that we have to have a very clear understanding of who Jesus actually is. One thing you'll find with all the cults is, and I don't know which comes first, but when you don't have it right who Jesus is, you will not have salvation right either, okay? Because the gospel is concerning his son, it's about Jesus. So, for example, if a cult decides that somehow Jesus is not God, very quickly they're going to decide that salvation is not by grace, right? It's the only way it can work. Jesus is the only Savior that can do this. And so, when cults teach a false Jesus, they always end up teaching a false gospel because the gospel is concerning Jesus. The other thing to re- realize with this, too, is that when you trust in the gospel, you get Jesus, okay? You get Jesus. When you trust in the gospel, you don't just get a religion, you get a redeemer. is that awesome? You get a person. It's about getting a person. This isn't just a religious system. When, when you get salvation, you get a savior, right? You don't just get forgiveness, you get a friend. You don't just get a pardon, you get a person. And he's an amazing person those of you who don't know him, like read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read one of those and see what kind of person he is. This is what you get. You get this person as your redeemer, as your savior, as your friend. Third, the gospel changes our lives. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Paul's not saying here that we're saved by faith plus works. What he's saying here is that true saving faith always produces works. There is an obedience of faith. Faith, when it's alive and healthy, produces obedience. It produces good works. The best uh, declaration of this, I think, is in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says this, Faith thus receives and rested on in Christ and his righteousness is alone the instrument of justification. So faith is alone the instrument of justification. And then it says, Yet It is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is in no dead faith, but works by love. So the point of that is, is that, you know, we're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. That faith always produces a a, a living life. And it makes sense, right? Because the more you trust Jesus, the more you're going to do what he says, right? Doesn't that make sense? That the more you trust him, the more you're going to see his commandments are good for you. They're the best possible way to live. Or as Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? If we really know him, it's going to transform us. All of you guys have friends that have had dramatic effects on your lives. If he's your friend, you have a dramatic effect on your life. You're going to be transformed by this. And as students, we're learning how to obey everything that he's commanded through the power of the Spirit. And we have that to look forward to as we study Romans. Romans 12 through 15 kind of tell us, What that life change looks like. And then Romans 6 through 8 are going to show us how we go about getting that life change. It's really exciting. Fourth, the gospel is about the glory of Christ. I know it's cold. I'm wearing the least amount of clothing to remind me, okay? Okay. Fourth, the gospel is about the glory of Christ. Look at verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among the nations I love this Paul's saying we've received grace and apostleship it's kind of like we've received a purpose which is apostleship and we received grace which is power and I just want to say to you tonight especially you parents you in other places of ministry that when God gives you a purpose, he also gives you the power to do it. Paul received apostleship and the grace to do it if God's given you a purpose which he has, he will give you the power to do it as well he does not dispense a purpose to you without giving you the power to do it, right? And the other thing though, too, is a lot of Christians, they kind of seek power without purpose. He does not dispense his power unless we're about his purposes, right? Hudson Taylor put it this way, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. So what's the purpose of the gospel in verse five? Do you see it? It's a little bit of a trick question because there's like a sub-purpose and there's a real purpose. Now that I told you it's a trick question, it won't answer. Okay. Let me just read it. What is God's purpose and the ultimate purpose in the gospel? Here it goes. Verse five. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is for the sake of his name among the nations. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is Jesus's global fame. Any of you guys into that? Any of you guys into expanding Jesus's global fame? That's what the gospel is about. It's about the glory of Jesus. It's about him being known and praised and loved in the world. It's about him being seen as the true king. The gospel, guys, is the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of you, okay? As you look around and you hear Christians, you might start to think that the gospel is somehow the gospel of us. The gospel is the gospel of God. We don't have any gospel in us. We don't bring any good news, do we? We bring sin. It's all bad news coming from us, right? God's the one that brings the good news. And because he does, he's the one that gets the glory. If we were saved by works, then the gospel would be about the glory of you. Okay? And religions are like that. Every religion, apart from the gospel, is all about the glory of you. Look at how you measured up. Look at how you did all the things required. You should be praised. You should be glorified. Look at you. It's the gospel of you. It's the glory of you. But guys, because we're not saved by our works, but by Christ, the glory all goes to him. And that's what makes the gospel completely unique in the world. It says that salvation is 100% God's work, and therefore he deserves 100% of the glory. Okay? All right. Romans, guys, is about the gospel. Romans is about God. I learned this statistic this week from a commentary, which is that three quarters of the verses in Romans are explicitly talking about God, not us okay and the other quarter you would assume or at least implicitly about god right this is a book about god this is a book that is theological not therapeutic okay we all want therapeutic okay we all want like start with me talk about me tell me how good i am tell me i'm enough tell me i can do it tell me to believe in myself tell me i've got what it takes tell me to believe the voice of my heart right That's not the kind of book this is, because that's not the kind of book you need. You need a book that's theological, not therapeutic. You need the glory of God. That's what changes you, right? And so the gospel is about the glory of Christ. And then fifth, last one. The gospel is for you, okay? The gospel is not about you, okay? But the gospel is for you, okay? The gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus and about the glory of God. But the gospel is for you. What does the gospel say to you? How is it good news? And this is going to be real quick. Look at verse six and seven. It says this Including you. Isn't that nice? Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, the gospel's for you. The gospel's for you. If you're not a Christian tonight, the gospel's for you. Come and take him. This is a free gift. You receive Jesus. There are no strings attached. We're not going to charge for him on the back, you know, or anything like that. This is a gift. If you're in Christ tonight, there's some gospel truths for you in here. If you're not in Christ tonight, I would just say, like, why in the world not? Why in the world? Are you not into free gifts? Are you not into, like, having all your sins forgiven? Are you not into having, like, Jesus be your Lord and Savior, your King? It's going to make the world all new, and you're going to be welcomed in. This seems like a pretty solid choice, right? I mean, this is amazing, right? This is the real reason the universe exists, the real reason you exist. And it's so historically solid. And to know that God has removed all your stains, come to him tonight. This would be a crazy thing to go like, you know what, I'll think about it. What do you have to think about? There's nothing to think about. I don't think it's a good idea to leave this parking lot and get in a car and drive around without solving that, right? Right? You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to have Jesus as your Savior. You're insane. What else are you looking for? Somebody love you more than Jesus? Somebody wiser than Jesus? Somebody better than Jesus? Take him tonight. You can take him tonight. You can take him right before communion. You could have it with us. If you're in Christ tonight, just enjoy these three truths and they'll be quick. Look at verse 6. You are called to belong to Jesus. That's really cool, guys. And I can't wait. Am I rubbing my hands together again? I can't wait to do Romans 8 and 9. Because in that passage, you will find out if you're a Christian, God chose you. God chose you for salvation before he created the world. That's incredible. Okay? That's incredible. And you might say, why me? I have no idea. I know you, and I have no idea. I have no idea why he chose me. It's completely of grace, and it's amazing. God chose you. Secondly, Look at verse six, you are loved by God. We're gonna see that in Romans five, God loves you. And you go like, yeah, he loves everybody. I'm not talking like that. I'm not talking that God loves you in the way I'm called to love all my neighbors. I'm talking about God loves you in the way that a man is called to love his wife, exclusively, specially. He loves his people in a special way that he does not love the world. He loves you, he sees you. When I was, um, used to pick up my kids from elementary school, I remember that the bell would ring and the kids would like flood out, right? It was like scary kind of, you know, there's a flood of small children. But one thing I noticed is as soon as I saw my kids, it was like they were in focus and all the other kids were blurry because those were my kids. And that's the way God sees you if you're in Christ. He loves you. Third, God has called you to be a saint, verse 7. And we're going to see in chapter 16, he calls all kinds of pretty random people to be saints. He's called you to be a saint. Book of Romans, guys, was was written to rally the church around the gospel. Despite all of its differences, we have a few. Despite all of its differences, rally us around the gospel for the sake of the mission. We have been called to a mission. We've called to be saints in this world. And I'm just praying that he would use this book to wake us up and to get us all in on his mission. Romans is going to be good. Romans is good. Or this is good whether we read it or not. It's already good. It's good all by itself. We're going to enjoy it. Let's take the Lord's Supper together. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper. If you, When I talked about those three things, that he has called you, that he loves you, that he has made you a saint, if those are gifts that you've received through Jesus, we ask you to take the bread and the cup with us tonight. In the Lord's Supper... We're reminded of those three things. and the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that we've been called. We're reminded by this, that God the Father chose you to be at his table tonight. He's chosen you to be in this place, to have this with him tonight. He's chosen you for this. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we're loved. It reminds us that God the Son volunteered his real body and blood to take away your sin. And so as we take the, the elements, we're going to remember that. First, we'll take the bread. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus say to you, this is my body, which I gave on the cross for you. Let's take it together. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken on the cross. We receive that gift as we receive this bread. We're so thankful. We're not nearly as thankful as we should be, Lord. We pray you'd stir it up, but we are thankful tonight for your body. Now let's take the cup. Hear Jesus say this to you. This is my blood, which I bled on the cross for you. Let's take it together. Jesus, we cherish that gift. We recognize that just as we drank that, Lord, that your blood was shed and cleansed us, washed away all our sin. The Lord's Supper reminds us of that last thing, too, is that we're called to be saints. The Holy Spirit will fill and empower you to do the things you need to do this week just as you ate that bread and you drank from that cup and it strengthens your body. As we take the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit actually feeds us on the person of Christ and strengthens us. He has given you a purpose this week for a mission and he is providing the power for you. Let's pray again and we'll close. Father, we thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for the beauty of it. We pray, Lord, that we'd have the affection That Luther had for it. (laughs) It would become more and more precious to us, more and more tasty. We pray that we would this year live in this book more than we live in the news, more than we live in social media, more than we live in our bank account, more than we live in our email inbox, more than we live in the drama of our relationships. Lord, we pray that we would live in this book and be transformed by it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your people who love you, who love your word. We're thankful for your spirit who will make all these things possible. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.